Are you one of the 12 million Americans who believes alien lizards rule us? We just might be. Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of Outside the Box. This is episode number four. This is a podcast where we talk about things that matter to us, like international and domestic uh, politics, and cutting-edge conspiracy theories. Uh, My name is Andrew Hull, and today I have Eric Perez and Spencer Lee with me. How's it going, guys? It's good. Good. That's good. That's good. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about lizard people, um, some solar eclipse stuff, um, some environmental news, and also some hypothetical questions, um, not necessarily in that order. So generally what we'd like to start with is some hypotheticals, so I guess we could jump right into that. First hypothetical question. This one's really interesting. Which gender do you think has it easier in our culture? In American culture. In American culture. Western culture. I think the gender that has it easiest is going to be the straight, white, male. That gender has it absolutely the easiest in America for a variety of reasons. One, the normalcy that belongs with the American white person, or American white male. Uh, They basically can get almost away with anything and also they can just blend into the crowd. They don't ever have to worry about being abnormal or being out of the box, which is where they need to be. <laughs> sort of like lizard people. Sort of like lizard people. And to be clear, we're not saying that straight white people, I'm a straight white, I'm a straight white man. We're not saying that they have completely easy lives. We still have our issues, but we're just saying they have it the easiest to just 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 not set off any like angry snowflakes. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good a, a good point. Like, we're not trying to offend any gender or any person or in any in, like capacity. But I mean, yeah. Well, I for one am a straight white man, and I think I have it really hard because of my gender identity and my straightness. How so? It's mostly a joke. Oh <laughs> I, I, uh, no, that's that's probably my best joke I've ever uh, I've ever. You should get better at jokes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, like, answer or Eric and Spencer said it best. There's not really much else that can be said about that. I mean, like, if we're going, like, gender binary, it's pretty clear wage cap, um, things like that. Makes it much easier to be a straight white man. I wish I was a straight white <clears throat> man. I can just run around and go to Ivy League schools like Harvard and Princeton and a, a non-Ivy, but basically an Ivy, Stanford. Pretty much, you know, just run around, become president of the United States. You know, at least one forty-fifth of me will be president of the United States. I will not be president of the... Wait. Women? Oh, shit. Do, a... do you think women have it easy? I think Spencer should be a resident skeptic on this. <laughs> <laughs> me? Yeah. Why me? Our, our resident sexist. <laughs> no. I don't want that title. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we'll just move Spencer on. Lee, resident sexist. <laughs> I'm going to put that on my business card. Yeah. We'll, just, we'll, we'll just move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, then let's move on. Um, let's go to this question. So you're walking in a forest, and you find a black suitcase. Inside it holds $1 million and a piece of paper stained in blood with a single word, don't. Would you take the suitcase home, or would you leave it? Absolutely. Would you take it? Yeah. Why? They're not gonna follow. They're not gonna be able to follow me. Dude, sneaky dude, shit, come on, man. I'm hella sneaky, dude. But, but also, like, simple on. risk reward analysis. Chances are, how are they gonna find me? And if they do find me, I die, and that's not necessarily a negative outcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What if, okay. Like, 
What if you try to but take actually, it? I would take it. And they like force you to suffer for the rest of your life, and it's like a long life. Still worth. How would they make you suffer? Yeah, torture. Like, torture. They torture yeah. me for the rest of my life. Yeah. For the rest of my life. Like nonstop torture the whole your whole life. Oof, that's a that's a what? rough one. Family. Nonstop torture your whole life for a million dollars for for the chance at a million dollars. Like wait, wait, wait. I mean, I mean, you have to weigh all of the hypotheticals. They'd have to catch me first, yeah. don't they? I'm fast as shit. What if, I, what if I take that million dollars and then I dip out, dude? Don't is a very stark warning. You might have like snipers on you, man. They might okay, like, like come out of the sky, yeah, from underground. Like, I honestly think that I would leave it, honestly, because first off, why is there a random ass black suitcase in the middle of the goddamn forest? And one, that's just creepy. Two, why is there a million dollars in it? And three, why is there a blood-written white sheet of paper, I assume 24-inch cardstock, <laughs> that has the word don't but written wait, on it? But wait, what font? I Comic Sans. Comic Sans. Oh, okay, if it's Comic Sans, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. No, if it's Comic Sans, but I if take it's something, the money. If it's something Times more New reasonable. Roman? Times New Roman. I'm, I'm scared. I'm Garamond? terrified. Garamond. Garamond is classy as shit, man. Wingdings? Wingdings. Okay. I can't I read Wingdings. I would definitely... Leave the suitcase. I would take it. I don't know what it's doing there. I don't want some like Slender Man ass shit coming at me. I don't need that bad juju in my okay. life. What a what does a million dollars like physically? What, does, what, that what does that look like? Can it fit in a black suitcase? Yeah, like a normal size suitcase. Easily. Really? Yeah, That's I mean thousand one hundred dollar bills. Okay, money that, bags. Did I do the math right there? A thousand one hundred dollar bills. Because I thought you said a thousand one dollar bill. It's ten thousand. It's ten thousand one hundred dollars. Okay, yeah, you yeah, definitely that, fit that. Yeah. Well, I mean, like a, a a stack is not that. Mm-hmm. I mean, a stack of like a hundred bills is not that thick. Yeah, you can fit a hundred. Uh, you can fit a million dollars. Spencer's like the last time I tried to fit a million dollars into a suitcase, it worked just fine. Honestly, yeah, you could me. you could probably fit a million dollars into a briefcase. Really? Yeah. I was assuming Money's... when we said suitcase, I was assuming that we meant like a briefcase looking thing. Anyway, anyway, that's how yeah. it always is in the <clears throat> movies. True, true, true. Um, I'd probably leave it personally. Like, I'd go for it. I'm scared. I. <sighs> In my head, I'm like, it's a dark forest, right? I got some big ass trees, big ass conifers, you know. Suitcases, conifers, suitcases as opposed flat. to deciduous trees, exactly. which would be perfectly fine. The, yeah, exactly. And I mean, what if those bills are marked? There's so many yeah. unknowns about the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't know who left it there. I'd be more curious about who left it there. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like the kind of guy who says, you, like, you say don't, I say okay. Right? Yeah. So, I, I'd probably follow the directions. That's, that's pretty clear to me. See, I'm the kind of dude where they say don't, and I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's true. I would, I would definitely go for it, because, like, why not? Gotta be the rebel, Spencer. Gotta be the rebel. Always the rebel, man. Okay. Cool. So, every week we like to talk about something that's in the news. Um, Eric brought up something really interesting this week that I'm excited to, to talk about. So go for it, Eric. Yeah, so this week we're going to talk about the environment. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the Gulf of Mexico and the Mississippi region. So we've, we're trying to take a step back from looking at you know international politics, especially around Donald Trump, because we're all kind of tired of that. Sure. So uh, speaking strictly domestically and how it impacts a lot of, you know, the, the Gulf of Mexico, 
we're going to talk about how there's been a lot of these things called dead zones that have been creeping up within the Gulf of Mexico. These dead zones are areas of water where fish die off, and it's, it's massive amounts of fish that die off. Uh, pretty much the reason why this is occurring is because there's a lot of runoff, specifically farm runoff, that's coming from the Mississippi River. This, the river is basically taking all of the herbicides and pesticides, which those herbicides and pesticides are used to prevent uh, certain insects and even animals from eating uh, crops around the region, and it's taking those chemicals and putting them into the Gulf of, uh, Gulf of Mexico. Thus, this Gulf, the Gulf of Mexico takes all these like ammonias and nitrite and nitrate-rich uh, sedimentary deposits and, and uh, currents and basically makes it so it's impossible for fish in the area to breathe and it basically uh, increases the acidity within the region and also harms the marine life, obviously. Another component of the pollution that's occurring within it is farm, uh, not farm, excuse me, is factory runoff that occurs within the region because there's some factories that basically put their runoff into the Mississippi and it goes out to the Gulf of Mexico, which impacts the natural wildlife that's occurring there. And also uh, uh, fertilizer that is used within the region. The fertilizer acts as the same, basically has the same effect that these pesticides and herbicides have, but instead of preventing uh, animals from consuming the the farm crops it basically makes the farm crops grow better that's basically what fertilizer does and the the nitrates and the chemicals that are within the fertilizer channel their way to the gulf of mexico which impacts the environment within the region creating these dead zones so i'd like to just start off just open up the floor for a discussion about the dead zones within the gulf of mexico does anyone have any thoughts initial reaction that's really scary Having those types of dead zones and like, one, it's it's a little bit sad that it's not in the news more so than it than it is. You know, this is something that Eric had to bring to my attention. I'm pretty savvy with the news, so it's kind of sad that I didn't hear about it. I hopefully we're doing something to combat it, but I don't know. So is this a new phenomenon? Because I mean, like, it's not like. It's not like agricultural uh, along the uh, Mississippi River. This isn't to downplay the existence of it. This is just a genuine question. I don't know. Is this like a new phenomenon? Because like agricultural has been pretty intense along the Mississippi for many, many years now, as well as manufacturing. Yeah, so like this dead zone... Yes, it is cyclical with the, depending on the season and depending on how much crop yields and how much pesticides and herbicides are used and how much factories and how many like how much output that factories are doing. But specifically, it's damning this year uh, to the region because it's it's created a, a huge pocket of dead zone areas within the region, and it's especially disheartening because it's affecting a lot of the coral and marine life that's occurring within the region. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Gulf of Mexico could be considered. Uh, similar to the Great Barrier Reef uh, in the the north or the American like region in the American continent, uh, and because of that, the massive amounts of bleaching has occurred within the region, and a lot of it has to deal with this chemical runoff that that is being carried by the Mississippi River. A, qu- a good question that could be posed with this is, what does farm? What do farmers or factory uh, factory executives do to prevent? this kind of uh, uh, horrible thing that's happening to the ocean well obviously we need more efficient methods for fertilization and whatnot and 
more eco-friendly, which I feel like we're moving more and more towards. But in the meantime, like my question is like, can anything be done? Right? Cause, like, I think right now what can be done is very minuscule. Damage has already been done. Fish have already died. Can we eat those fish? No, those fish are Dang uneatable. It. <laughs> no. God damn it! Uh, a lot of the coral that has uh, been in the region has has you know either bleached or is on the verge of bleaching. One thing that can definitely help is if uh, this kind the if the herbicide, pesticide, and fertilizer runoff, any kind of chemical runoff is is drastically reduced it can help the, the region obviously time will definitely play a big and important role with the recovery of the biodiversity and the recovery of the fish in the region that's definitely an important important aspect sure uh so i guess one one uh, definite like impact or one saving grace that could occur is the prospect or use of genetically modified organisms and basically the whole concept and whole ideology is that Basically, what what scientists can do is they can take a a plant or you know something that we eat. So let's say like co uh, corn, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. And they can genetically insert using you know special lab techniques and using special enzymes and stuff like that. Can uh, basically insert a type of gene that makes certain animals and certain pests like rodents or like flies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that normally eat that corn. Uh, and basically make it so they don't eat it at all, either through normal biological functionings as if they like eat it, they collapse and die or something like that, or it just completely, basically makes the crops undetectable to the insects. What do you think the impact of using genetically modified corn or corn or just genetically modified food in general has within the specific subset of this uh, environmental issue? Spencer, what are so your thoughts? So, I'm all for it because statistically, like, I've done a lot of research on GMOs. I've read a ton about them. I know quite a bit, like, I'd say without being, like, a GMO researcher, there's not much more I could know compared to pretty much anyone out there. Not to toot my own horn or anything. But, uh, statistically, GMOs, um, use s significantly lower levels of pesticides, uh, and so, like, ultimately, like, I think it's, like, a, a, a very positive step in the right direction uh, um, in reducing this type of runoff. And that won't only affect, like, the, uh, obviously, like, the dead zones in, in the Gulf of Mexico, but also other areas of the environment, like the Mississippi River itself. And so, like, I think, like, I think, like, investing in that technology further and developing it further and making it more widely available would go a long way towards addressing this issue. Obviously, that doesn't do anything about factory runoff or anything like that, but I do think that it's a critical step towards achieving uh, more ecologically friendly agricultural practices. So I'm actually going to disagree with Spencer a little bit, and he'll probably counter it pretty well. Anyways, so pesticide use as a whole is lower with genetically modified organisms, right? Genetically modified crops. However, a lot of the pesticides that they use in conjunction with the gen genetically modified crops have chemicals in them, like neonicotinoids. Based on my own research, this is kind of like what I found, right? They have these own, these specific chemicals in them that have like some sort of like adverse effect on bee colonies, right? So bees, bees is a really big argument on this one. I, I also have like a, a question surrounding this yeah. entirely is what about the fact that you know these cockroaches these flies these whatever these rodents these pests right 
what if they eventually become resistant? Superbugs. Yeah, superbugs, essentially. Uh, they become resistant to these genetically modified crops. What then? Do we start using more pesticides along with the genetically modified like organisms? Now we're just hitting it. We put. It seems to me as though that we can put ourselves in a double bind. First, let's address the bee situation. Okay. Spencer, what do you have to say okay, about that? Okay, so I have looked into the bee situation, um, specifically the neo neonicotinoids. I can never say it, the word. Dude, it's it's a bit neonicotinoids. Yeah, that. Anyway, so I've looked at that specifically, the studies done on it that have concluded that they are contributing to colony collapse disorder. Like, not setting aside the fact that colony collapse disorder is very misunderstood, and also it's been slowing down significantly in recent years. Um, there are many factors contributing to that. So setting that aside, looking at this specific factor, the studies done showing that it contributes to colony collapse disorder use those specific pesticides in far greater concentrations than they're generally used uh, commercially or privately. And so, like, ultimately, I think it's a little bit of a red herring because, like, you can use basically basically anything in high enough concentrations is poisonous, right? Yeah. Like, like you could use the most benign fertilizer in the world, whatever it may be, and it would be poisonous, right? Yeah, I mean, if you use enough cow manure, you're going to eventually harm... You, I mean, if you use enough, you're eventually going to smother the bees, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's yeah. like... It, it, so I feel like that's a little bit of a red herring. Um, and that's not to downplay the uh, importance of making sure that we are what's the word for it, um, prudent in our usage sure. of pesticides and fertilizers. So what is the root cause of colony collapse disorder? That's part of the issue. We don't know. There's been yeah. studies pointing to those, there's to the neonicotinoids. Say it, please. Neonicotinoids. <laughs> All right. Um, I've also read studies that point to literally sunspots, <clears throat> disrupting right. um, bees' That's navigational right. capabilities. Uh, this, like... Colony collapse disorder is not anything new. It's been going on since like early yeah. 1900s. Yeah, and I think I think another component of colony collapse disorder is definitely the warming of the environment because bees are very susceptible to environmental changes. Yeah, mm -hmm. and also like natural flower pollinations and also the use of you know uh, uh, like I said just now. Sorry, they're very susceptible to the kind of plants and vegetation that exists within the natural environment if they're not no used to a certain type of flower it could uh, devastate them if there's a bunch of flowers being being produced or so like that I, that kind of leads into my next point which is that with gmo gmos um the the significant advantage we have with that is we can tailor them to suit different pesticides so like if we uh so i mean like it's been shown that neonicotinoids that thing might have an effect on the bees. It might have an effect on the dead zone. So let's look at maybe like a better option for mm -hmm. the fertilizer. I don't know enough about this specific part of GM crops mm -hmm. to say what would be a better option, but like we can, it gives us flexibility on options. Well, right? it sounds at the very least, like the problem doesn't exist solely with a genetically modified, like part of those crops. Exactly. It's the it's way the, that we use pesticides and insecticides. Yeah, so ultimately I think like it has a lot more to do with, yeah, yeah the way that we use pesticides. Yeah. yeah. I, I wasn't trying to say earlier, like I'm totally for genetically modified foods. Like I think it's going, like going a long way to, to like alleviate hunger. So let's address the second part of the question. How about the issue with superbugs? Spencer. So I have done some research into this. So part of um, what we can do, this doesn't completely avoid the issue, but part of what you can do to avoid superbugs is you cycle the types of GM crops and the types of pesticides that you use, similar to how vaccines are done every year, okay. right? Where it's like, because uh, that way, like they, it, it's harder for them to build up any one specific immunity, right? Because mm -hmm. you're cycling through these so fast. So that's one option. 
Um, yeah, that makes sense because normal farming practices, they do crop rotations, right? Yeah. So basically they have, for our listeners who don't know what crop rotations are, is that usually a farmer has, let's say, four different types of plots. And every growing season, they plant, let's say, soybean in one, soybean in two, corn in three, and nothing in four. The next uh, year, they put nothing in one, they put soybean in two, they put soybean in three, and they put corn in four, right? So it, it rotates to give the earth some time to naturally replenish and in order for better crop yields and just better just crop Super habits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's empirically effective. And it sounds like that what you're t saying, Spencer, is very similar with this whole crop. Very similar concept, yeah. Yeah, very similar concept. My question is, does the average farmer have the kind of intellect or the capacity to even perform the, this kind of method if they have to go through different kinds of so, genetically modified seeds. So honestly, I think like the biggest barrier would be economics. Honestly, like it's uh, at this point, like the actual like agricultural practices. I mean, there's always improvements to be made, right? But at this point, those are pretty well developed. Like we have a very long history of agriculture in that area and in America as a whole. Uh, but <clears throat> yeah, like, like admittedly, like having to switch between different strains of the same crop, if you will, would probably be more expensive, um, at this point in our development. So like, maybe that's something like down the line. Uh, so it's definitely like something to look out for of like overusing these types of pesticides. And I'm not sure exactly what the answer would be, but like it all, it all ties together and it's a really sticky and complex situation. Well, yeah, like given the concept of superbugs as well, like even if the intellect isn't there, even if like the economics like don't make a whole lot of sense, there's still like an incentive there to do it based on the concept of, of superbugs, right? Like you want your crops to exist, you're probably gonna have to do this. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Also, I think with the with the whole ideology of superbugs, there's something that's completely missed altogether. Is that in the current uh, farmer like market or just in the current farmer practices, superbugs can still exist, right? And that's the reason why there's an increased use of pesticides because our current levels of pesticide usage isn't enough to combat certain like insects and certain pests. So there has to be higher usage of pesticides. And I think that using genetically modified organisms is just another tool in the toolbox in order to combat the issue of one, food scarcity, pesticide or pests consumption of our food and overall health and benefit of our agricultural industry. I think using more genetically modified foods within the region could have the potential to limit the devastating effects that pesticide, herbicide, and fertilizer fertilizers have within the Mississippi region and cause less devastating impacts within uh, the, Me the Mexican Gulf. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, and just to prove, just to highlight how important the like Mexican, the, the Gulf of Mexico region is to like foods and tourism and all of these things is many, many economies desperately need one the fishing industry in order to you know sell the fish to people who want it to want to eat the fish but also like people need the fish for nutrients because a majority of, of island uh cities use fish as their main source of protein gotcha. because they can't uh get cattle uh because cattle uses too much land and uses too much water and fish is a very easy uh source of protein yeah, and, it, and on that note, like, it's interesting to me that, like, we look at, like, for example, like, the oil spill back in, what was that, 2011? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 2011, that was so devastating to uh, the fishing industry in that area. Like, we look at that, and we look at that as, like, such, like, a, a major disaster. But when we look at something that essentially has a lot of the same effects, uh, it's, like, 
it's regarded as as a lesser impact just because it's not so dramatic right like it's this it's this insidious creeping thing that happens every year that people overlook simply because it's systemic and it's not as glamorous as a massive oil spill and they turn a blind eye to it yeah exactly like it's it's having a very similar effect potentially like arguably long term an even worse effect than a singular oil spill yeah well the interesting thing about the whole issue is that uh the changing in chemicals has had devastating impacts on the gulf of mexico's coral reef population right and a lot of people look at at, at um, the great barrier reef as a huge example of like massive bleaching that is occurring but when it comes down to it like the the gulf of mexico is, is another keystone uh, cor- uh coral reef that is really really important to the biodiversity and also like the uh, the entire food chain within that region and when you get rid of the keystone of a region then poof everything's done and the sad thing about the coral reef is that uh, fundamentally, coral will continue to thrive given the right conditions. But if conditions change too quickly, too dramatically, uh, they will they will eventually die, and they can't be brought back because it's just the natural function of how the coral work. The coral basically takes in uh, algae and uses the algae to create its own nutrients. And once that algae disappears from the coral, the coral can't come back. It's just how the coral is. Coral are fascinating creatures. Yeah, and like on that note, like I don't think people realize exactly how sensitive coral reefs are. Like even like a percent of a percentage change um, in the overall salinity of a of of a sea, like like Caribbean Sea, for example, or the uh, seas surrounding Australia, can devastate coral like the coral, right? Because like they depend on it. Like they have a very very narrow margin of existence if you will yeah, and like if that changes slightly if the temperature of the water changes slightly if the salinity changes slightly the chemical composition of the water changes slightly that can completely uh that can set off a devastating chain reaction destroying like the entire system just like you said chemical changes specifically the chemical runoff from the, the hundreds of thousands of acres of farms that are along the mississippi so like yeah while we don't necessarily have we, us here in this room, don't necessarily have the answer. Like, it's very important for all of us to be informed about these issues, um, because as time goes on, they're going to be like, like they're going to be more and more critical in the years to come. And I think they're already pretty critical right now. I like, would say that they're critical right now because yeah. millions of people can suffer just from yeah, simple exactly. changes like, in pH and simple changes in chemical composition of the water. Yeah, they're obviously very, very critical right now. But like, looking down the line, it's going to become even uh, an even bigger issue and so we need to learn about it now and stop it at its uh, in its tracks as much as we can uh now that we're done with that let's get into the good stuff we are about to enter the conspiracy zone in this segment we talk about conspiracies that are typically out of the ordinary this one's a pretty big one um but we debate the validity of the conspiracy and see if it could potentially be true this week we're going to talk about the possibility of lizard people uh, lizard people in our government, things like that. This episode was a highly contested and wanted episode, so here we have it. Um, by no means do we defend, uh, do we mean to offend anyone with this segment. Um, if you are a lizard person, I'm sorry if we offend you. Uh, it is just for fun and interesting looking at these subjects through the extraordinary perspective. Um, so Spencer's going to tell us a little bit more about lizard people. All right, so essentially the theory goes, I'm sure that a lot of us here are uh, familiar with it. Essentially the theory goes is that there are secret reptilian aliens from an 
mysterious planet, not Earth, that are at the core of all of Earth's governments, all of Earth's governing institutions, and have been for millennia. Uh, various people have been theorized to be Blizzard people, everybody from Michael Jackson to President Obama, President Barack Obama. Um, and shockingly, a total of 12 million people in the United States, which is a pretty significant percentage, honestly, uh, completely believe in these Blizzard people and the fact that they are running our government. Are you one of the 12 million, Spencer? Am I? Yeah. I guess I am. Eric? So, I would not say that I'm one of those people. Not but yet. I might be changed. It might be changed. So, wait. I'll convince you. Where Everybody do these convinced. lizard people... Where do these lizard people originate from? The theory goes is that the lizard people, a.k.a. the Anunnaki, originated from the planet Nibiru, and they came down to this planet many, many millennia ago um, and essentially created humans as a slave race. And ever since then, since humans got, you know, more advanced and the Anunnaki stopped really caring about the Earth, like, we've kind of taken over. But secretly, the entire time, there's been these mysterious, shadowy figure figures guiding our history all along. The, the myths and legends about them uh, stretch back millennia. Way back to the beginning of the Sumerians and, like, the beginning of civilization, really, which is very interesting. But, I mean, a lot of that is... Um, modern day speculation of, about Sumerian myth and whatnot and what the Anunnaki actually were and so some of it can be regarded as historical revisionism but the fact is like for such a long time now there's been myths, legends, theories regarding mysterious reptilianoid beings from another planet governing the human race. Well, here's a good one is that Justin Bieber is a reptilian creature and basically there is photographic and video evidence of him shuttering his eyes in a way that seems almost reptilian like it specifically has to deal with uh, an instance when he is in court uh, testifying at the stand and just the way his eye moves is unhuman it could be simply just a, an issue with the, the video like the the quality of the video but just looking at the video, it seems very, very prevalent that his eye does not close in the normal uh, horizontal fashion, but rather in a vertical fashion, which which makes it pretty surprising. And basically, what one of the like theories behind that, or the reason why people think that he's an alien person, is that when he was really going through his troublesome years, when he was uh, 20, 19, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, when he was driving a Bugatti or a Ferrari, you know, while he was intoxicated or whatever the whole issue was, is that he, as a lizard person, was either molting. He, as a lizard person, was trying to go out and tell the world that he was a lizard person and he was done hiding the shame and hiding who he was as an individual. Either that or Dustin Bieber's gay. Um, either or, I believe, completely. I mean, like, are there gay lizard people? That's a good question. I would say so. Probably. For Homosexuality sure. Homosexuality has been preserved sure. in thousands of species already. Why not the lizard people? Yeah, dude. Uh, another theory is that Obama, or just pretty much any past president or any uh, high U.S. or even global official, is a lizard person, and they and the lizard people actually control or are what is considered the Illuminati, and that they have been controlling, like Spencer said, the human civilization for centuries. So here is a question, and maybe this is a question to be answered a little bit later in the podcast, but what is it exactly that makes like this theory so attractive to people that 12 million people in the United States 
want to believe that there are literally lizard people controlling our government and our culture at a high, high level. I think, honestly, what it is, is people see the political elite as untouchables in the sense that they are almost godlike to them because we don't know what the political elite does for their free time. I mean, I guess we know that Donald Trump and Barack Obama both go golfing every occasionally, but when it comes down to it, like we don't know what Elizabeth Warren does when she goes to bed at night. I mean, as far mm -hmm. as we know, she's taking off her human skin and she's a lizard person, right? We don't know what Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, etc. Ted et Cruz is definitely a lizard person. Also, yeah. there's a rat killer. Okay, so <laughs> aside there's from, no way he's human. Aside from that. We don't know what you know the political elite do for their free time, and basically, it kind of seems it almost seems impossible or improbable that these people are or these individuals Just regular are people, normal people, and it can seem as kind of a scapegoat or for you know normal or not normal people, but a scapegoat for the uh, an average American or an average person to see them as a lizard person. Adding on to that, I think that people just like automatically have this or the, like the word politician or politician as a profession has like a negative con connotation to it and it like elicits like imagery of like snaky slimy type like ted cruz ted cruz exactly <laughs> like they're literally when i think of ted cruz i think slime i think gross so it, it's easy to make the leap from politicians being humans to politicians being alien lizard people um, for for supposedly 12 million people in America. I don't, I don't know if this is like a theory that's popular outside of the United States. But I mean, I, there's a reason that it's like popular inside the United States. And honestly, I feel like most countries uh, have like a like a, a similar attitude regarding politicians yeah. in general um, of viewing them as like a separate class, a separate race even. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're going to break down the poll that public policy took on it, I don't know exactly what the question was that the respondents responded to. Yeah. If it was literally, do you think that we have interstellar lizards <laughs> in people's suits ruling our country? I probably say yes for the laws. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm one to meme, so I, I'd probably say yes. I don't know well, if that, that goes for 12 million people. But I'm also willing to bet that at least some of those 12 million people weren't just memeing. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I, I have a couple of, like, stories to talk about uh, when it comes to lizard people. Um, they're, they're kind of, like, in the news. The other one's just kind of, like, a theory on top of lizard people theory. Um, this one's really interesting, though. So, uh, if you, you, you know about the, the solar eclipse coming up, right? Yes. Yes. So, the South Carolina Emergency Management Division which is a legitimate government department. <laughs> this, I mean, this is as legit as it gets. People are paying tax dollars to, this, to these people. Where is it published? Where is this? The, so the articles, uh, we can put it in the description, but it's from Newsweek. Okay. Yeah, like, this um, is like literally something that happened. Yeah, I, I mean, th th this article is specifically from Newsweek that I'm looking at. There's other articles about it too from equally like reputable sources. But anyways, so they put a, a, a Twitter post. Uh, the Twitter post reads, regarding possible paranormal activity uh, potentially occurring to the during the hashtag solar eclipse 2017, as always, if you see something, say something. They literally post a map that they have little icons of lizard people designating where there have been lizard people sightings recently in South Carolina. 
<laughs> now, like, they're con- concerned for public safety. These could be people in, like, costumes that could potentially be dangerous. Um, they could also be actual lizard people without suits on. Um, we're not going to dis- dismiss that possibility. But in, included in the article, which is really interesting. So they have a local person from that area of South Carolina talking. And he describes the lizard people. Um, he said, well, about a specific lizard man. He says, it was a tall, dark figure that had a tail and appeared to have scales. It was almost like an alligator with a short nose and long legs. Mm, How interesting, interesting is that? Yeah, and actually, uh, building on top of that, I've done a lot of reading on like, mm-hmm. uh, supposed like cryptid sightings in North America. So things like Bigfoot and whatnot, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so... The lizard man of South Carolina is actually pretty well known for having many, many sightings over the years, mm-hmm. uh, specific like in specific areas of South Carolina. I can't remember the exact areas right now, yeah. but um, especially in like swamps or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So like, it's just interesting to look at all facets of like the lizard people conspiracy and mm-hmm. its various manifestations. Okay, so the South Carolina Emergency Management Division released a statement that included this line. SCEMD does not know if lizard men become more active during a, a solar eclipse, but we advise that residents of Lee and Sumter counties become uh, should remain ever vigilant. I think that's wild, honestly. That that is crazy. A, a legitimate government department is putting things like that out. In addition to that, a, a theory on top of lizard people theory, it's literally that um, they're like blending in with the science community. True. So that they can sow the seeds of doubt about global warming and climate change. So you're telling me that lizard people are saying that climate change is a thing. No, is they, it they're, thing. they're saying it isn't a thing. So they're sowing the seeds of doubt Since they're because they have an incentive to allow it to happen because they're cold-blooded. And a tropical environment is more favorable to them. That, I, wow, that's, that's yep. wild. Yeah. I mean, I buy it. Honestly. Also, supposedly, there's a base underneath the sands of New Mexico that is filled yes. with lizard people and various types of extraterrestrials, but especially lizard people. Is that, like, at all related to, like, a nuclear test site? Yes, actually. Interesting. It has everything to do with the Stargate that we discussed. Interesting. So, like, maybe there are lizard people coming Crossroads. over from Nibiru. Crossroads. Links. Between time... It seems, it seems as though all of our conspiracies kind of link in together. It's because yeah. they're all aliens. True. They aliens. are. Um, we're we're going to be attacked by like some like black helicopters or something, dude. True. So if we all die, just putting it out there right now, it was the lizard people. So what if hypothetical? It is revealed to us that certain members of the political elite are in fact lizard people. What's the consequence? What's the impact? What does it change, honestly? It, it sounds like for 12 million people, it changes nothing. Yeah. I think that it would have huge impacts when it comes to... So are you saying, like, everybody finds this out? Like, for sure, we know yes. that the... Okay. Let's say... Yeah, no, let's like, say... I'd say, like, there's there's gonna... Like, there'd be, like, a literal, like... Like, a literal, like, goddamn war, right? Like, yeah. people would be... I mean, like, look at, like, the red... The Red Scare back in like the 1960s, 1970s, you know, 1950s, whenever that was, I'm blanking on the dates right now. But like, I mean, I think we'd see a very similar witch hunt, and it would be very interesting to watch. Yeah, I mean, I I could envision like a lizard person, actual person, war that occurs. 
I think that war occurring is probably the de- the definite answer that, that occurs from the entire issue For or sure. from the entire yeah so we got some high stakes stuff here and like with lizard people like would we win that war it would be a war between us and an alien race of unknown intelligence unknown uh his, like his scientific advancement but also unknown numbers mm-hmm. yeah because if we're just talking that the political elite i mean it's the one percent versus the 99 percent yeah but i mean fundamentally when it comes down to it like I, I i honestly think that the i think that the lizard people would win that war because Probably. they have all the secret intelligence they have all the knowledge so if with that in mind would you take the side of the lizard people in that world or or would you fight on the side of the humans i honestly would take the side of the lizard people are you a lizard person let me check i am not a lizard person are you sure hold on let me check one more time i am sure that is exactly what a lizard person would say probably i don't think we can trust eric well if i'm a politician in 20 years <laughs> you'll know you'll know what all right <laughs> anyway what, what's everybody's ratings for this conspiracy theory I am giving it a, a gold star. Gold star. Um, I think it's quality. I think it's quality um, conspiracy theory. I think that there is ultimately probably not a lot of validity to it. Honestly, I think it's like we discussed earlier. I think it's mostly people um, buying into it because they view politicians as like a separate class and race from them. But also, it's a very entertaining one, and it's one that I really like. I will give it twelve million silver stars. Uh, What's the exchange rate? Uh, it's silver the, stars to gold. It's the same rate of leprechauns to unicorns. Okay. Uh, so with that, I give one silver star for every person that believes. So more people believe, more gold stars, therefore more truth, more validity to the whole conspiracy. Andrew, so what do you? If we got everybody in the world convinced that there are lizard people, even if there aren't, then it would be true. Yes. Okay. As always, Andrew, what do you rate it? I'm going to rate it two Michelin stars. Do you, do you understand stars. the militia, Michelin star rating system? Uh, what's the for restaurants, right? That's like... You give the anyway, conspiracy... Michelin stars. You give the conspiracy two Michelin stars. Dude, it was so good. I ate it right up. Um, <laughs> dude, this... I actually really enjoy talking about this theory. Um, I don't know that I buy it. Probably not. But, I don't know. It was fun to talk about. Yeah, it was a good one. It was a good one. Um, anyways. So, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, you can find us on SoundCloud, um, YouTube, Apple Podcast, iTunes, all that stuff. I mean, we're all over the place. Literally nowhere you can't find us. We're going to be all, uh, we're all over the place. Remember that if you, uh, like us, feel free to drop a favorite, like, or whatever you need to, to show your appreciation. Uh, we really appreciate it. You know, we get, uh, five-star ratings on, on our podcast. That was really helpful last week. Um, that was really cool to see. And of course... If you want us to talk about a specific conspiracy or uh, like something in the news, just let us know. Feel free to comment. Uh, we'd be happy to talk about it. Um, leave a comment on the general podcast telling us how awesome we are, how stupid we are, how dumb Spencer looks right now even though you can't <laughs> see him. Um, don't forget to su- subscribe so you stay up to date on all the outs, uh, the interesting conspiracy and newsworthy events. Um, you can find us on our personal social media pages. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Eric Perez 18 on pretty much any social media, but I'm only using Snapchat right now. We actually now have an official Twitter to follow. Uh, that is at podcast with a capital P underscore O-T-B um, in all caps. 
Uh, also, you can find me personally at Thought Cheetos. That's T H O T underscore Cheetos uh, on Twitter. You can find me at Frogs Are People Too on Twitch, mostly streaming Destiny, um, sometimes other games. And uh, you can find me on Snapchat, A H U L L. Um, you can find me on, on Instagram, my Finstas, uh, Thoughtimus Prime. Find me there. Other than that, uh, thank you for, for uh, listening. We'll uh, see you next week. And lastly, stay outside the box. Also, thank you to Harrison Kruger for this week's suggestion. Yeah, and thanks StarX679, who gave us a five-star review uh, and talked about how our podcast is super interesting. And I quote, I think you guys are great. Thank you. It kept me up at night for a few hours because what's the difference between great and amazing? A lot to a mind that is running.